I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. The process of transformation for me happened when the video of Philando Castile became relevant. For whatever reason, you know, I was well aware of the fact that this was a thing, you know, the injustice happening in our country. I was well aware of that, was well aware of what it meant to be black in America. But I don't know that I had really allowed myself to acknowledge the truth of the injustice and the weight of it. So when I watched that video, I had to sit with it. I had to, it had to become real. It had to become the reality that I had been trying to ignore for so long. That's Ardre Ori, a social activist, entrepreneur, publisher, philanthropist, and author on a mission to give marginalized voices a platform to speak. In this episode of World Footprints, Ardre joins us for a conversation on the power of storytelling and narratives on race, and how those narratives and who tells them are not only empowering, but transformative. Ardre is the CEO of 13th and Joan Publishing and the founder of 100 Seeds of Promise, a literary initiative that empowers men of color to document their own narratives and guarantees their representation as published authors. As a celebrity ghostwriter, Ardre has written for a host of clients including Grammy Award-winning artist, A-list Hollywood actors, professional athletes, and a bevy of entrepreneurs and everyday heroes. Ardre's work has also been featured on VH1, MTV, WeTV, Bravo, BET, Centric, and more. Here's our conversation with Ardre Ori exploring the power of storytelling, empowerment, transformation, and travel. Ardre, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. These are crazy times, right? I mean, between COVID and social unrest, but I'm, I'm finding that a lot of people who have been marginalized for centuries, for years, are really starting to find some level of empowerment here. And you say that it's important to give those marginalized voices room to speak. How could that be accomplished and why is it important right now? Sure. You know, we are having some very tough conversations, ones that are necessary and, uh, quite frankly, conversations that we should have been having a long time ago. I think that the days of being hypersensitive about one's own trauma at the cost um, or expense of of not expressing, you know, our true selves is those days are limited. And so um, now more than ever, it's very important that the people who experience a thing, a moment, an era, injustice, those people need to speak on what they're experiencing. Those people need to document and chronicle what they're experiencing. And those people need to be able to set themselves free in knowing that they are not making things up and that, you know, the experiences that they're having are true. And when I say those people, I'm, I'm certainly speaking about myself included. You know, how we make that possible is through publishing companies like what I've, you know, created. This is a safe space for our stories. We have worked extremely hard 
to make sure that the books that we produce are quality, that there is no compromise just because of who we are, that our books match up to any standard, you know, and that's not a standard just based on race, but a standard that's based on quality literature. And so I think that we have to, first of all, address what it is that we've been experiencing and to really allow the people who are having the experiences to have the floor to speak. Are there stories that are coming out now that you're helping with some of your clients? And and are you learning anything new at this time? I mean, how is that transforming you? The process of transformation for me happened when the video of Philando Castile became relevant. For whatever reason, you know, I was well aware of the fact that this was a thing, you know, the injustice happening in our country. I was well aware of that, was well aware of what it meant to be Black in America. But I don't know that I had really allowed myself to acknowledge the truth of the injustice and the weight of it. So when I watched that video, I had to sit with it. I had to it had to become real. It had to become the reality that I had been trying to ignore for so long. And so at that time, I felt very helpless. I knew that I wanted to do something. I wanted to make an impact. I wanted to make a difference. But how? You know, we're all stuck, you know, in in a sense. It's what we feel. And uh, the weight of trauma can sometimes be paralyzing. But one of the things that I recognized was that Philando Castile was one of many names, unfortunately. And so when I recognized that that was the case, I started to look for, for some reason at my clientele. And I recognized that my clientele was primarily 90% Black women. So if my clientele was primarily Black women and Black men, for lack of better terminology, had targets on their backs, then what was happening to the stories of Black men? So that process changed me and I wanted to do something. And what I knew to do was with whatever I, you know, I had in front of me, which was a publishing company. So I started an initiative called 100 Seeds of Promise. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just what I thought was needed. I kind of tried to pitch the concept to a few people, but it's very hard when you've been given a specific vision to get others to see it immediately. So I probably sat on actually taking action for about two years. And then I decided I'm just going to do it. I don't care if anyone gets it. I'm going to just talk about it and make it a real thing and, you know, go through the steps to make it happen. So when I did, the response from the men was overwhelming. And all that I was saying was that this is a safe space for you to speak and tell your truths. And the thank yous, the, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're doing this. We need this. It was heartbreaking. I didn't feel great about it because it was so sad, but the transformation in me happened because I recognized that we are in a society where especially Black men have not been given the floor. They have been contained as far as their emotions. And they've just been told to kind of, you know, deal with what comes. So Mm -hmm. that transformation and what I recognize in terms of what we're we're publishing um, helped me to really see something that I thought I knew, but I did not. In terms of empowering authors, uh, be it authors of color or people who have a consciousness about these issues, what do you think has to perhaps change in terms of what we're seeing in the environment out here to really marshal forth more of these voices. Clearly, what you're doing 
is is helping to bring about that change. But I think sometimes, too, people are kind of looking at such a, well, what has to change politically or what has to change within society? How do we go about changing hearts out here to understand our points of view? It's such a, a tangled web. <laughs> we have to look at things from the systems that are in place. You know, we understand, you know, the, the terms systematic and systemic, you know, which are the one in the same, you know, in many senses, but we have to look at the systems that are in place and we have to look at the ways in which those simple, those systems are implemented and executed, you know, that cause harm to the structure of equality, number one. But then we also have to go very, very grassroots. And that means, you know, me having very intimate conversations with my friends who are of different races. You know, I'm having conversations on a continual basis, you know, friends calling and saying, I don't think that I realized that it was this way or, you know, that this has been your experience. And I'm very candid about it. Again, you know, I've, there was a time where I think that I, I worried about other people feeling okay, you know, with the truth. And that is, is done, you know, that's gone because we have to. At this point, if we do not engage in these conversations at a grassroots level, we run the risk of losing those people who truly want to understand. And then, you know, recognizing that we can produce allies in this who have access to systems and who have access to some of the, the structural change that needs to happen that maybe we sometimes feel we don't have access to. So I think that we have to attack it almost from both ways. And then we have to look at ways in which we can that make us less reliant on the systems that serve to oppress us. Is that what you mean by when you say, you know, storytelling? Storytelling can help ease or even eradicate racism or, or at least curb it. Is that what you mean by the power of storytelling? Because we're storytellers mm-hmm. in a different space, but Absolutely. we know the power of stories. Yes. I think that the first step is to make sure that the stories who they are about, that that group of people understand their power. Much of what we experience is because our history has been told to us rather than us rendering the truth. You know, when we look at, think about my daughter and she, you know, in her course, she's in AP Euro. And that's awesome. But where is the AP anything else? You know, there is not. And so for her to to be educated in a system that doesn't teach her about herself or where she does not see herself is an injustice. I think that, you know, we are able to take our power back from, first of all, controlling the narrative and making sure that there is representation. And that does not have to rely on anyone else. You know, we don't need anyone to speak our truths for us. We have the power to do that with what we have right in front of us. So that's one starting point. I also believe that when we have the ability to tell stories, then that becomes fact according to us. And so if someone is in search of it, like right now, you know, there's so many books that are flying off of the shelves Mm -hmm. that speak about uh, racism and, you know, and oppression and police brutality and all of the things that we need to talk about. And that's because people are are wanting this information. So if we write it, then we can understand that it's accurate and it's not from a skewed uh, point of view. This is World Footprints, and you've been listening to publisher and writer Audrey Ori on the power of storytelling, empowerment, transformation, and travel. 
It's interesting that you speak about the power of uh, controlling these these narratives because we hear so much about fake news and alternative facts and people diminishing the experiences of others by talking over them or putting them in their place. And so with what you're talking about, it seems at its core is empowerment and that regardless of what others say or do, there is a truth that those who are empowered can speak to, breathe life to that, animate that, and make that the reality, make that the defining paradigm for dealing with things such as systemic racism. I completely agree with that. You know, I think that that, you know, when we think about, this is a a, a veer off, but when we think about romance stories, you know, I, you think about so many examples, but when you question black love stories, how many can you name? That is one concept. If you think about it. So does black love exist? Is it a real thing? Are there black princesses? Are there black fairy tales? And so, you know, we think about Disney, we have princess Tiana, who else is there? So that becomes reality when little girls are looking at who they can, um, can emulate. It happens in, in every sector. And so just by the sheer fact of the ability to create representation, you then create power. Because when you know that you exist, when you know that you are important, when you know that your story is worth documenting, that creates power that cannot be erased. So much of what we're really looking to see change ultimately is about a change in the heart. And clearly writing, literature, can speak to people in so many different ways. How do you look at the work that you're doing as being a way to start changing hearts, particularly of the hard-hearted who aren't open and haven't been open to allowing the voices that we're speaking about today to come forth and have those truths come forth? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. You know, I, for some reason, have redirected the energy that would have been used to change those who don't have an interest in changing and harness that towards empowering those who need to be empowered and those who are interested in change. I think that we can also get into a place of counterproductivity when we focus in on changing people who don't have an interest in changing. It's almost the same as, you know, um, as a ghostwriter, when I sit down with an author and they say they're ready to write their book or to to write their memoir more specifically, I can tell um, very soon if they are truly ready to be transparent versus, you know, wanting to just scratch the surface. And when I find that someone is not in a place where they're ready to be fully transparent, I stop the process because we're not going to get from it what should truly be uh, on paper. We're not going to be able to really show the evolution of the person. We're not going to be able to teach the world anything from a story that's half done. So I feel the same way about people who don't have an interest in change. My focus is really on those who want to change, who want to evolve, and who want to seek their power. Speaking of change and transformation, we in the travel space, I mean, that's where we live, you know, we see travel really as a tool, not the, but a tool a, uh, to combating divisiveness, you know, um, 
racism and because we we have seen and we have shared stories on world footprints about people who have been transformed you know who may have preconceptions about other cultures and those shift dramatically when they visit those other cultures and so we're kind of doing what you're doing in a different space but i know that travel always informs us and so i'm wondering have you done any travels or taken any journeys that have really transformed you and have informed the work you're doing now? Oh, wow. I got goosebumps when you asked that question because I, you know, remember, and I want to go now. I want let us out. Let us, <laughs> I, please. I know. <laughs> I, in September of 2019, um, I had my first, I had gone internationally, had traveled internationally, but not this far. And so I got my first acceptance to speak internationally. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, can I do this? And I know that you all can relate to it because that first time that you're going to go really far, you're like, is this possible? How does this work? You know? And so um, that trip was to Japan. And I just thought, if I can do this, I can do anything. So I'm going to get on this plane. I actually, uh, my husband was supposed to go with me and he got a new job, like just like a week before. So he was, it took him out of the equation. So that was, you know, really a way out had I wanted to change my mind. But I packed up my mom and my two daughters and we got on the plane and it was life-changing. I mean, to the point that I felt like the air that I was breathing Mm -hmm. was different. And to be in a place where no one, I think that that time that we were there, we were there for seven days. Maybe I saw one or two, two at most, you know, people that looked like me aside from the, the others who had traveled, but it was just such a beautiful experience to spend time immersed in another culture. I was so excited about the fact that I did not speak the language, you know, so it was like a weight off my shoulders. I wasn't worried about anything. We were treated so kindly. The food was amazing. My time was completely messed up. I showed up for a meeting a whole day ahead of time because I was turned around. And um, so that made me dine by myself in a, a very nice restaurant, which was another great experience. And it changed my life, what it did for me. And I wanted to find out if I go here and I write, you know, when I take out my laptop, when I take out my pen and paper, Am I going to be different? Am I going to experience something different? Is my mind going to work differently? Am I to, you know, give me something different? And the production was just phenomenal. You know, I've just felt free. And so immediately when I got back, I started planning because I just wanted writers to feel that. I wanted everybody that would, you know, be willing to go, you have to do this. And I know that you all know that feeling and you see that. Oh, yes. No, you know. (laughs) And so I immediately started this company called Ardry Ori Retreats, which is my writing, you know, writer's retreat. And um, we just, we started planning immediately. And I just, you know, I was like, I don't care if you understand, just plan to go. You have to do this. So yes, it has been life changing. I will never forget Japan. I'm scrolling through photos, you know, as they pop up and I'm like, please, COVID go away. (laughs) We cannot be limited. I, I, I I so understand. I so understand. You know, I, we should be in Japan right now covering the games because we, we've been covering Olympic and Paralympic games since 2010. Wow. We should be there right now. And I was going to tell you, 
maybe if you saw a very tall, very handsome black man in Tokyo, that could have been my brother. Oh, wow. He's lived there for two decades. Really? He's an actor. He's a model. He does Taekwondo. I mean, so his home is there. So you might have uh, uh, the two that you saw. One might have been my brother. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's amazing. It is. It is beautiful. Does he like it there? He comes home, uh, home being the States once a year, if okay. that, to visit. So, yeah, he likes it. Likes and, it. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, his, his wife, my, my sister-in-law is there. We have a nephew. Um, he just turned five. He, I think okay. he's five. Nice. So, yeah. So, Chuck, Chuck is there. His name is Chuck Johnson. He, Chuck is there for the long haul, I think. Wonderful. Yeah, Japan is amazing. I want to go back. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> As we... Think about some of this conversation here, and I know that part of what we're really trying to do is really give people places and where they can go in terms of their thinking to grow and to change and be transformed. What advice would you give to all of us, people of all stripes, with respect to getting on this path of transformation because there's a lot of work to be done and it's not going to happen overnight. What would you say to encourage getting on that journey, starting that journey? I would say that the paper always listens. We have been traumatized. You know, that's really the light way of putting it in this country. And we have to come to grips with that We have to acknowledge that as truth. And then we have to be kind to ourselves in the expression of that. So when I say the paper always listens, you know, there are things that you may not feel comfortable placing on social media. Social media seems to have become a diary of sorts for many. You know, I'm on social media. I'm angry about things. I'm sharing. But there are things that I recognize that I don't want to share because I want to be cognizant of myself in this space. I know that the things that I write, you know, one day my children may read, both of them are actually following me on social media. So I know that they will see it. (laughs) Well, three of my children, they are. So it's important that they see who I truly am. And I know that those things will be there forever. But um, I think that there, there has to be a safe space. We must create safe spaces for ourselves to truly document what we are feeling. And especially in ways that we don't apologize for them. So I think that that's first. Secondly, I think that we have to find ways to deal with, what we are experiencing, you know, whether you are feeling anxiety in lieu of COVID-19 or whether you're feeling anxiety because of the race wars and the things that are happening um, all around you, there is a lot to be feeling right now. And so the fusion of joy and anger and anxiousness is a lot, you know, for anyone. The most well-versed, healthy, mentally stable person would still, you know, find themselves needing strategies. So I'm really encouraging people to journal. I'm encouraging people to create spaces that are meaningful and spaces that fill rather than spaces that take. I'm encouraging people Mm. to take breaks from social media. You know, if you go on social media, I thought about it this morning. My very first post was about Breonna Taylor and the continued injustice, you know, that there's been no arrest, but 
I wanted to post that. I 100% did post it, but I thought, wow, somebody's going to wake up and this post is how they're going to start their morning. That means something to me to have impacted them in what might not have been a positive way. And as much as that is our reality, it doesn't necessarily help someone to be mentally healthy when you wake up and then you immediately jump into trauma. So, you know, we have to be more aware, more cognizant of how we are positioning ourselves, you mm-hmm. know, and, and finding kind of silence the noise when the noise is too loud for us, knowing that, recognizing triggers, recognizing things that are not good that will be long lasting. For example, I did not watch the video of George Floyd. I did not because I remember what Philando Castile did to me. It's still with me. I'm traumatized by it. And so I work relentlessly because of it. And so I knew that the impact from the George Floyd video would be no different in terms of the fact that we have work to do and that this is still a problem. We have to be kind to ourselves. We have to also, there's a lot of talk about if you are amidst the COVID and you don't come out having done something miraculous, you know, you wasted all this time. Yeah. Maybe sometimes you have to be okay with just waking up and surviving the day. We've got to just be better to ourselves. And I'm, I'm speaking that to myself as well, since Zoom allows you to see yourself while you're on camera. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just have to do a, a better job of, of creating safe space and um, reevaluating the way that we thrive, reevaluating what it means, you know, what success means to us, and then recognizing that we have been under pressure. We have been under systematic oppression. And so we deserve to give ourselves the best and and to give the best to others. It's important. You've been listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Travel deeper by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com. And make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift we have just for subscribers. I want to ask you something that has come up in in our industry, the travel writers industry. It's caused a bit of contention, uh, a lot of confusion, and that's just about the sensitivity of words. Some of uh, our, our white colleagues are concerned about, uh, how do I, if I'm writing about the South, yeah. is it okay to use the word antebellum considering that lady antebellum has now changed their name or is trying to change their name um is it okay to talk about these confederate homes and 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 historical markers that were very prevalent during Mm -hmm. the civil war is it okay to capitalize b for in black when you're talking about Black Americans and not capitalize the W, you know, because the AP AP just changed their rules a couple of years ago. So as a writer, as a publicist, how do you advise your clients? The first thing, and this, you know, rule is, is applicable to any scenario, is that you must know your audience. You have to know who you are talking to and that when you are writing for an audience that is primarily in the South, that may have, you know, sometimes things don't translate from one audience to the next. We're very specific in the book world about if you're using a certain dialect that maybe that 
that is specific to the South. Well, if you have a readership, you know, in another area that they might not, that might not resonate with them. So I think that that's important. I always think about as Black writers, we often consult and ask questions and, you know, get feedback prior to feeling entitled is the best word that I can come up with, not the best one for this, but entitled to just produce a piece. And so I think that that really is a thing that everyone should be doing. You know, when, when my friends contact me, friends of other races, and they say, you know, is this appropriate? I thank them for asking, you know, I'm glad that you cared enough to ask. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with asking if something is appropriate or not and taking time to learn about what is okay and what's not not offensive. I do realize that we're now in a time where much more is coming into play and a lot of things that were okay are not. So I think we also have to create space for unlearning, you know, and to to be sensitive to the fact that that is in motion. But I think we should all be asking, you know, if things are okay, if they're offensive, how does this affect you? So that when that piece comes out, it's more about being impactful in a positive way and making sure that our intentions and our thoughts are conveyed so that people are moved by the piece and inspired more so than, you know, being offensive, but Hmm. um, we should ask. Because again, we live in the travel space. I I have to ask a couple of travel questions before we go. (laughs) One of the questions we usually ask people is, have you found your soul country? That is the country that really speaks to your heart that you really connect with. Have you found yours? And if so, what is it? Oh, well, okay. So two, three weeks ago, we were to be in Paris, which would have been my first time going to Paris. We have a full slate of writers paid and ready to go. And uh, of course, because of COVID, we couldn't, we had a group of women, all women, and one gentleman who was bringing his wife and it was their anniversary they were going to celebrate. And um, he sent a message that was probably about a week before. He was like, are we still going? I was going to fly into And I'm like, sir, we cannot go. We've been sending <laughs> several messages. They were just so excited. But I, you know, I have forever, my heart as a writer has been fixated on Paris. So because I haven't been, I cannot say, but I believe that my heart would certainly find residence in Paris. That's one. And um, believe it or not, last week we launched registration. Didn't even know how this would go, but because of everything that's going on, I figured, you know, let's just try it. We launched registration for our retreat to um, Cape Town, South Africa, (gasps) which is slated for 2021. But that reaction right there is the one that we get from everyone. We have made contacts on the ground. We have team members there already. We're launching an arm of the publishing company there. And to be honest, every part of our communication feels like home. Mm -hmm. Um, All of my studying, um, we use a social media, our social media page to just post and to teach about the history of where it is that we're traveling to. So it really helps me to learn. And it just feels so welcoming. I don't know. I just feel at peace with it. So I'm going to say South Africa because once we get there, I feel like I will have returned home. Well, <laughs> oddly enough, that is our our home. Is it? We, we, we've honeymooned there. Um, <gasps> we've been back there a couple of times and our editor um, just returned from South Africa oh. from Cape Town because of COVID. 
Yay. And she cannot wait to go back. So, we, yeah, we, yeah. We are excited. Yes. <laughs> and you will love Paris. Uh, it was transformative for me when I went 25 years ago. And so that was the, the one experience that did change my life in a lot of ways. So and it will change yours too. Well, I married him because he had traveled abroad and I wasn't going to date anyone that had right. traveled abroad because I lived abroad. So anyway, that's another story. Yeah, so- <laughs> we have to talk. I'm telling you, this is my, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with travel, but we're all going somewhere. We know that. And I have said time and time again, that this is my exit strategy you know this retreats business and travel and so i'm telling my husband like okay pack your bags because we are going so to see you all you know doing this together it just makes me so happy oh bless thank you thank you makes me so happy Oh, well, and, and I'm so happy we met. And, and before we go, I, so this, I'm going to ask, this is kind of a rapid fire question. Sure. Pretend that everything is okay in the world and we can travel mm-hmm. and you are going to South Africa or Paris, your preference. Yeah. Besides your husband or your children, mm-hmm. if you could pick anybody to sit next to on that long haul flight, who would it be? Oh my gosh, that is a great question. You know, I would choose, <laughs> I would choose Jay-Z. I'll tell you why. And I know, and I'm like, well, if I choose Jay-Z, then I think Beyonce would be there as well. So that'd be, that would go without saying. <laughs> get You'll get a twofer. You'll get a twofer with them. <laughs> For Jay-Z, you know, he was a rapper mean you know and he was the talent but he managed to transform his talent into being the business and so that's very much want to do i would want to just ask questions about that transformation from one kind of you know area to the next and that's very much what i'm interested in i am the talent you know as a as a ghostwriter i spend all of my days ghostwriting for other people but i so desire to evolve and i'm currently writing a romance novel and so i want to venture out and then you know as i'm continuing to build this company so i just am very interested in people who kind of started with not a whole lot and then they've been able to really create something just because they found their genius zone so that's one. And I know, and please now, if you, if, and that would be one normal. Now, if you want to ask me who I would pass out, right? Because I meet people all the time and I feel that we're all the same, but I would pass out on the floor if I were able to be in the presence of uh, Barack and Michelle Obama. I would. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. They're just my favorites. I think the, the world of them, I think they're amazing people, amazing examples of love amazing examples of parents you know amazing examples of of human beings and so those two if i if i made it onto the plane with them i probably would not be awake or uh (laughs) (laughs) so i'll take (laughs) jay-z well you know and and we also ask past or present so is there somebody who from past who you would want to sit next to i would sit next to my grandmother she has been the company 13th and Joan. I actually named it after her. She was born on the 13th of October and my mother's name is Joan. And so um, being raised by them, I always say that my story is the intersection of the two women. 
13th and Jones. So I have so many things that I want to ask her because I feel that I've become her. But growing up younger, I didn't know to ask the things that I know to ask now. So as much as I would love to say someone famous and amazing, I would totally bring my grandmother and sit with her the whole way because I would want to show her the world. Oh, that is so beautiful, Audrey. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to staying in touch. You all are motivation to me to see you there together and to know that, you know, that's what you do. World Footprints is, is very meaningful. So thank you for exchanging and allowing me this opportunity to share. It's our pleasure. Thank you. You know, dear, when we were talking to Audrey, She was talking about something that we've been talking about a lot in the travel space, and that is the power of the full narrative, the opportunity to share the full and truthful narrative of our story. Because as we know, especially as travel writers, a lot of our history has been whitewashed. Other people who don't see life through the same lens that we do will tell a different story. And so it's very important that we own that narrative. These narratives are important and who tells them how they're told can be illuminating and also revelatory in terms of opening up thinking, perhaps having a different perspective about something, looking at something through a different set of eyes that we may normally not think about or have been conditioned to because of a particular way of thinking or mainstream media reporting and writing about things in a certain way. So I liked what she had to say, particularly in terms of empowerment. And I think that also speaks to how travelers can also be empowered to find their own truths when they travel to places, when they learn about the history, when they meet people from different backgrounds and different cultures to dig a little deeper and not just accept the predominant narrative about a place or people. Right, because, you know, when we travel sometimes, well, many times, we will be directed to places that tell the best story about that destination. And we have been very honest in our storytelling. We look for the good and the bad and the ugly because that is the whole sum of the narrative for a destination and a people. And it's our collective history and it's worth sharing even the bad because that also shows progress. And speaking of progress, the late Congressman John Lewis, somebody very dear to our hearts, once said that when somebody mentioned that there has been no progress, he said, walk in my shoes because we do see progress. And so as we close, we thought it would be befitting to leave you with the words of the late U.S. Congressman and American civil rights icon, John Lewis. You have to tell the whole truth, the good and the bad, maybe some things that are uncomfortable for some people. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we are honored that you chose to take this adventure with us. Thank you for spending this time and allowing us to connect you to the world through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tonya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. 
Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.